again. Our Lord, we do come seeking you as you, our Lord, our King, go about your work of making all things new. Lord, we trust you to make things new within us. We ask you to do that by your Spirit. Lord, come by the power of the presence of your Spirit. Come and illumine our hearts and our minds through your word to hear your voice, your invitation, your call to us this morning. Lord, take my lips and speak through them. Take our minds and think through them and take our hearts and ignite them with passion to follow you. It's in your name, Lord Christ, that we pray. Amen. Please go ahead and be seated. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins, as we just heard from Colossians 1, 13. As we approach the Thanksgiving holiday this week, I found myself again uh, contemplating, pondering on what it is to celebrate with the memory of those who came to this land seeking freedom seeking religious freedom in particular. We are a society that has come to prize freedom above pretty much everything else because we are a society born out of the desire, the quest, the pursuit of freedom. But I'd suggest that our contemporary notions of freedom have become increasingly skewed as they've become, let's be frank, increasingly self-referential. We've come to find freedom much along the lines of Supreme Court Justice Anthony Kennedy's statement in a 1994 Supreme Court ruling. Kennedy said, at the heart of liberty, he said, here's how I define liberty. At the heart of liberty is the right to define one's own concept of existence, of meaning, of the universe, and of the mystery of human life. That is codified in the statements of the Supreme Court of the United States. That is how we as a society have come to define freedom. I will be free when every choice before me is solely mine to make, free of constraint or any form of imposed boundaries. The only limitation upon me should be me and solely me. I alone will direct my steps. I will define for myself what the meaning of my existence is, what life even, what life itself is. I need no one outside of myself to define myself. This is precisely the image of freedom that a particular young man that I know of pursued as he fled North Africa for the cosmopolitan opportunities of continental Europe. Being born into a relatively wealthy but frankly kind of provincial family and traditional family, he felt that his world was far smaller and, and more confined than it should be. He was not free to define his own existence, to seek his own meaning at home. His parents both had, you know, pretty strong ideas about who he should be and what he should pursue. And so he left home to break with his parents' imposed expectations. And after some initial studies in Tunis, 
Tunisia. He eventually crossed over to Italy where he was able to obtain a, a student visa pretty easily. And first he went to one of the great universities of Rome. He studied philosophy and then law and distinguished himself at the top of his classes. He landed some internships and then a teaching post and, you know, having that kind of exotic North African complexion as well as rubbing shoulders with now sort of the movers and shakers of academia and law in the area, he became pretty popular with the ladies, we'll just put it that way. And so he uh, sort of started to party hard because he also had a pretty still healthy bank account as well. So he hit the party scene pretty hard and he was free free from the constraints of the cultural expectations of North Africa, free from his family, free to live his life just how he wanted it. And of course, as he increased his education, increased sort of the, the, the power that came with it, he was increasing his sense of freedom to do what he wanted. Yet while he was throwing himself into this life of unbridled self-gratification, and while, according to this definition of freedom, to define his own meaning and existence, he should have been happy, this young man found eventually that he just wasn't. He just wasn't. In fact, he increasingly began to feel like he had merely traded one form of bondage for another. He would later reflect on this time in his life and say of himself, the liberty that I loved was merely that of a runaway. In other words, he began to feel the, the weariness of life kind of constantly on the hunt, constantly on the run. Running from the constraints of home, he hadn't really identified a destination to be running to. He was just running. Travel can be fun, but life perpetually on the road gets old. Life on the run can become a veritable hell of our own making. And this young man would also say that at this time in his life, he, was, he, he felt like he was storm-tossed, like he was gushing out, every, uh, running every which way, he says, frothing into thin air in my filthy affairs. He was bound by what he called, quote, the shackles of gratification. Bound by the shackles of gratification and gleefully trussed up in those afflicting bonds. He defines what he means by these shackles like this. He says, the consequence of a distorted will is passion. The servitude to passion, by servitude to passion, habit is formed. And habit to which there is no resistance becomes necessity. And by these links, as it were, connected one to another, hence my term a chain, a harsh bondage held me under restraint. This young man was experiencing the cycle that every addict has come to know. A habit that when repeatedly practiced becomes a necessity. And becomes a necessity often just about the same time that that habit, that indulgence, no longer even pleases us, right? But we have to do it. We come to hate the thing right about the time we realize we can't live without it. Anybody who has eaten their way to the bottom of a pint of ice cream knows what I'm talking about, right? You hit that point where you don't even taste what you're eating. You don't even really want it anymore, but you just can't stop, right? This is the cycle 
that the pursuit of freedom as my right to define myself leads to. You don't have to be addicted to opioids or alcohol to understand and participate in this cycle. In her book, Recovering, Leslie Jameson notes that the big book of AA, Alcoholics Anonymous, was originally titled The Way Out. And she reflects, out of what? Not just drinking, but the claustrophobic crawl space of the self. What an image, the claustrophobic crawl space of the self. Pursuing the freedom of absolute autonomy leads to the prison of the unchecked self. As another author, James K.A. Smith says, it is a terrible and terrifying thing to know what you want to be and then realize you're the only thing standing in your way. To want with every fiber of your soul to be someone different, to escape the you you've made of yourself, only to fall back into the self you hate over and over and over again. Wow. Or as our own Book of Common Prayer says it, Almighty God, you know that we have no power in ourselves to help ourselves. And so our young man begins to seek and to think, perhaps freedom is something different altogether, different than what I thought it was. Perhaps liberty is not just freedom from, freedom from restraint and constraint. Maybe it's actually freedom for something. If freedom to be my autonomous self only leads to the bondage to, that confines the desires, the habits of my autonomous self, perhaps true and absolute freedom is something different. So he moves himself from the crazy life he's created for himself in Rome to Milan, where he takes on another teaching position. And it's there in Milan that he has this profound spiritual experience. While pondering and, and wrestling over these thoughts one day in the courtyard garden of his apartment complex, He's overcome with the desire to know real, true freedom. And he hears the voices of children playing. And he kind of listens and hears one in particular sort of singing, sing-songing back over and over again. Take it and read it. Take it and read it. Take it and read it. And he notices a book on the stone bench just near him. So he takes it and reads it. And so it was that the man that you too may know as St. Augustine of Hippo took up St. Paul's letter to the Romans and found the grace of God welcoming him in to true freedom. Again, I quote Augustine himself, to desire the aid of grace is the beginning of grace. This is the power of of the 12-step program, to acknowledge a power outside of the self that can do what we are powerless to do for ourselves. It's the power of the cross as well, by the way. This is true freedom, not the rejection of constraint. That's merely freedom from, not the pursuit of our own self-defined selfhood, but freedom from outside ourselves to become more than we could possibly be left to our own devices. Free, truly free, for something. Freedom to truly live. 
That's the message and the trajectory of the scriptures that we read this morning. That's what we celebrate in this final feast of the church year. The feast of Christ the King. That there is a different vision of freedom, true and lasting freedom. Freedom that delivers us from the bondage of self-referential, self-centered, self-determination, as well as the external factors of the world that would seek to cram us into that suffocating crawl space again. There is something outside of ourselves that has come to help us up and out of ourselves. In a word, there is grace. That's what we read in St. Paul. Uh, his epistle to Colossians as he's celebrating this morning. Again, in verse 13 of chapter 1, he, God, has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. That's the very motion of grace we see illustrated in the life of St. Augustine. Deliverance from the dark, cramped crawl space of the self into the bright, light-filled, open expanse of the kingdom of God. It's expansive. However, I find all too often that even we within the community of believers, when we talk about redemption and the forgiveness of sins, we tend to get pigeonholed in our thinking and revert sort of to what I like to call the Sunday school answer. You know, Jesus died to take away my sins to take away the consequences of the bad things that I've done so that I can go to heaven and be with him when I die. That is certainly true. That is what we read about this morning in that familiar text from St. Luke's Gospel, right? We read about the two criminals crucified with Jesus. And it said, one of the criminals who were hanged railed against him saying, are you the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him saying, do you not fear God? We indeed are being sentenced justly for we're receiving the due reward for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said to Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, truly, I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. And so we hear emphasized again and again that just like the criminal who acknowledges Christ, if you will turn to Jesus, even a death row confession is enough. And he will cancel the debt of my sin and I'll be with him in paradise. All true. Absolutely. But for the soul that keenly feels the imploding press of self-imposed servitude, that doesn't feel like the glorious good news I need now today, necessarily. I'm not worried about the eternal weight and the consequences of my sin, per se. I'm suffocating within myself right here, right now. To be told, turn to Jesus and you can go home to be with him in paradise when you die does not always feel like real world right now hope. just doesn't. That may be the message of forgiveness, but to the soul that recognizes that she is her own worst enemy, it misses the life-giving word of redemption. Redemption, apolutrosis in Greek, it literally means securing the release of a captive, purchasing the freedom of a slave. That's what the word means. This is the motion of grace, setting us free from ourselves 
and from all other shackles of bondage. This is what it means to be delivered from the kingdom of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of Jesus. It means not just freedom from something, the the conventions and constraints that our modern notion of freedom identifies as the problem, but freedom for, freedom for life, life in the kingdom of God. And so, somewhat counterintuitively, freedom comes through pledging allegiance. Freedom comes through pledging allegiance, embracing the boundaries, as it were, of life under the gracious rule of a king. It actually means surrendering control, surrendering self-determination. Surrendering to the one who is, quote, the image of the invisible God, Paul goes on, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. You and I were created through him and for him. Not for ourselves, not for an endless flight from restraint in order to forge our own identity and command our own destiny. But we were created to find and be found in Christ. As we celebrate this deliverance from self, this grace that rescues us, St. Paul would also have us celebrate the ongoing grace that sustains us as we daily walk in this path of surrendering to our Creator King. He began the passage, uh, that part in verse 9, where he says, We haven't ceased praying for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. But if you haven't been around Christ our hope or around me very long, you may not know this, but I have a strong aversion to Christian platitudes. You know, those Christianese remarks that sort of roll off our tongues in the moment that, you know, both the speaker and the hearer barely even think about because we've heard it so many, oh yeah, that's just what Christians say, right? And so when Paul is talking about living a life, walking in this way, and as he goes on and even says, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy... He's not just throwing, you know, a bunch of like Christian-y sounding phrases at us because it's the right thing for a pastor to say in the situation. You know, it's the right thing for an author of scripture to be talking about. He's talking about a living reality. He's describing the ongoing work of grace in the life of a woman or man who has been redeemed, rescued by the grace of God in Christ. Grace does not just come to us to do this work of transferring us from the the dark, suffocating kingdom of our cramped selves and delivering us into Jesus' kingdom of light. It comes to us on a daily basis to strengthen us with real, true, literal, divine power. Power to keep choosing. Power to keep walking. Power not to pick up the shackles again and See if they still fit. Power to endure, Paul will say. 
to stay this course, especially when we look around a society where it very often looks like autonomous self-definition actually seems to be working out pretty well for some other folks. Like, I don't know why it didn't work for me because it seems to be working really well for them. Maybe I need to reconsider this. The psalmist says, don't fret yourself over the prosperity of the wicked. More than once he says it because David's a realist. He knows what it, looks, what it, what it is to look at others getting ahead by questionable means and then to look at your own life and to think, what am I even doing here? Is this even worth it, right? Is living for God rather than living for myself really getting me anywhere? Right? It's not sin to be frank and ask those questions. It's not. But the ongoing grace of God is that in those places there is strength for the asking, divine strength to bolster our endurance, not just strength to, to white-knuckle it and endure. And I'm a distance runner. And I was a swimmer. I know what it is to just literally gut it out sometimes, right? That's not what Paul's inviting us into. That's not an invitation, really. Not just strength to white-knuckle it, but to do it with patience and even joy. I know, I know, the guy who just said he hates platitudes. I know, to quote Morgan Freeman in that great cinematic classic, The Lego Movie. I know it sounds like a cat poster, but it's true. And he will do it. Jesus said, if we who are earthly fathers, and fathers in the room, you know what this is, mothers in the room, you know what this is, if we earthly fathers know how to give good gifts to our children, how much more your heavenly father when you ask? He wants to pour out the gifts of his grace on us, but he delights in being asked. So ask him daily. On this final Sunday of the church year, we celebrate the gracious rule of Christ, our King. We celebrate the power of grace working in us to redeem us from the kingdom of darkness, the cramped confines of the pursuit of our own self-will, the power of grace to transfer us into his glorious kingdom where there is strength to endure with patience, even joy, strength to walk in a manner worthy of that calling, to bear good fruit. This morning, once again, I want to lead us into a time of prayer. I just want to ask, Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come among your people. And in this quiet moment with you, I invite you to speak to our hearts, Lord. First of all, for any of us here who recognize the struggle that I described as St. Augustine's testimony. Any who recognize, oh yeah, I'm, I'm in that place, still, either still in that place or in that place again of the suffocating crawl space of myself. Lord, by your spirit, would you give the grace to seek grace? Or would you set any captives here this morning free?
and you've not experienced redemption. Redeem, Lord, redeem. For any of us, Lord, this morning who have known that grace in our lives, and yet as we have gone along on the road of faith, I've come to recognize, oh yeah, I, I picked up that shackle again, didn't I? Been just, you know, trying it on for size to see if it still fits. And guess what? It does. Lord, give us the grace of confession. That we might experience the redemption, the release of absolution. And Lord, lastly, I would pray for any of us who recognize that we're walking along that path and thinking, yeah, 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 we took care of that in the past. No, I haven't been trying to take up those shackles again. Boy, I sure don't have any joy in my faithful endurance. Kind of running short on patience right now. Lord, would you pour out the gift of your spirit, your promise that the life of your kingdom is not a life of drudgery, but a life of true freedom. Restore to that soul, Lord, the joy of your salvation. Renew, Lord, right spirits within each of us this morning, we pray. Amen.